So welcome to another episode of The Shredder Show. Today we have got a superstar guest, Mr. AJ Morris, who is a natural bodybuilder extraordinaire, and one of the best uh, team coaches in the area, in the world probably, in terms of natural bodybuilding. And that's really his speciality niche. Uh, incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly consistent and driven. Uh, and so I've been hugely inspired by watching from the outset. So thank you very much for jumping on the podcast, AJ. Uh, it's a pleasure, mate. Thank you very much for the, the introduction there. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, listeners can take away something from this one. 100%. So in the episode today, we're going to delve into uh, majority in terms of maximizing your natural and genetic potential. And at the end, we're going to go through 10 take home tips for younger bodybuilders out there. So um, in terms of your approach with things, AJ, in terms of obviously adding muscle mass as a longer term process and maximize out your natural and genetic limits. Do you think too many people give up way too early in terms of their and cut themselves short in terms of their genetic limits anyway and try and use that as an excuse? Yeah, for sure. I, I think especially in the natural scene, you know, we're, we're taught that everything comes very slowly and that we have to be patient and that, you know, you're only going to build a small amount of muscle per year. And I think people need to broaden their horizons a little bit with that. There's a lot of naturals out there that are making a ton of progress and that's just down to the fact that they're potentially nailing every single variable that they can possibly nail alongside obviously the genetic influence of, of bodybuilding itself and the progressions that you can make influenced by who your parents are essentially but yeah i think you know a lot of people set up very very narrow ceilings or or, or shallow ceilings when it comes to their potential as an actual athlete and something that I've done recently and you know like my my whole sort of series on YouTube this year when I can get it like flowing again with content was meant to be and is going to be surrounding the fact that you should think with a little bit more of like a limitless mindset because that in business and bodybuilding pays off massively um because you almost just sort of like your whole your whole mindset's shifted as a result of, you know, what, what you think is possible. Um, and when a lot of people are told, you know, 0 0.5 pounds or one pound or whatever, like that is just literally what you're going to get. So yeah, um, that's what I think, mate. And uh, I think that, you know, just generally people need to open up their minds a little bit when it comes to bodybuilding as natural. 100%. I think that also applies to life. I'm sm I was smiling when you said limitless because, I'm sitting here with uh, one of the whiteboards next to me. He's got life with no limits underlined three times because that's like almost a motto I tell myself in terms yeah. of like, you can achieve anything you want, like whatever you want. If you focus on it and work hard and learn from the right people, if someone else has done what you want to do before, then why can you not do it? Yeah. Yeah, too right. Too right. It's that whole like law of attraction kind of thing that people do sort of go on about, but it is genuinely true. And unfortunately, I think the people that, sort of poo-poo or shame that idea are the people that really don't achieve that much because they're they're setting sort of like such mediocre goals or or ideals within their life that they're very happy to settle for for things that we would really not be happy with you know so mindset that mindset applies you know not just you know bodybuilding but especially for for us in in the business and the sort of the industries we work in it applies to the business element of, of, of things as well. 100%. I think one of the interesting things we were talking about before uh, we start the podcast, and we'll come into this a little bit later, is uh, we were both in Dubai at the same time, bumped into each other briefly. Yes. How 
being in an inspiring environment opens your eyes a lot more in terms of um, you removing limiting beliefs. And I think that's very true as well in regards to the people you surround yourself with and the information you absorb on a daily basis, um, which is why I'm very uh, wary of who I follow and what information I take in or see on a daily basis, because I think that has a huge impact. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can agree with that for sure. Um, you mentioned there, obviously, in regards to limitations, the amount of muscle mass people can add per year. What's the most you've added in terms of tissue within a year? And what would you say do you think is, obviously, it varies person to person, but what would you say is a realistic expectation for someone ticking off all the variables? Yeah, sure. So I think the most that I've added that I can sort of part as a scale weight is probably the the progress that I made from 2017 to 2020. So I I gained about 15 pounds worth of stage weight in in those in those two years that I had off from competing. And looking back, like arguably, I probably could have made the same 15 pound gain in one year because like you always look back and you think you could have done things differently, but I had, I had so many things that went really wrong in those two years um, that, that could have had me have you know, three or four months more progressive training. Um, whether it was in, like, I had a couple of injuries that really held me back. I had like loads of things happen in personal life in 2018 that held me back massively from the emotional stress perspective. So, you know, whilst you can't really go back and change those things, I, I definitely think that I could have built a lot more muscle in that time period as well. So 15 pounds was like on the lower end of what I could have done. Um, and also what I've learned now in terms of training application and the way I do train now is a lot more optimal than it was in, in back in 2018. That's for sure. Um, you always get those little like things come up on your Facebook or your Instagram of like, because I always used to upload training clips. Like I always did that on my Facebook, not so much on, um, on Instagram stories and stuff, but definitely Facebook. And I like one popped up the other day from like four years ago. I was like, I looked at it. I was like, Oh, like I'd be like sending a two minute voice note to a client critiquing that if that was uh, something that came through to me as a coach now. So it just proves like we're, but we're all on, on a process of getting, you know, getting better and better. So, you know, if you look at my 15 pounds of muscle over those two years, you know, don't think that just, you know, if you're listening to this and you compare that to what you've gained over a, a two year period, then, you know, you don't need to make that harsh comparison just yet because you're, you're probably at a different level. You're either ahead of me or behind me or whatever, all at different points. Um, so that might be a lot for you. It might not be that much for you. It totally depends on so many factors. Um, I mean, I've also seen, you know, yes, you could argue, but you don't know whether they're natural or not. But I've seen with clients, I've, I've seen people gain probably around about 10 pounds in like a seven month, eight month period. Um, one of the best people that I've followed at the moment that's natural is Chris McCready or Keithy West on Instagram. Um, he's gaining, I think he gained about like at least 15 pounds of, of muscle. And that was just between he competed in 2019 and then competed again in 2020. So a very short window of time. And it, it was so, it's so visible. Like you can just see the muscle density that he's gained in that window of time. Um, the thing that intrigues me at the moment is that, well, there's, there's just literally no one way about going about gaining muscle in terms of like the way you can train 
Um, but the one thing that remains a consistent variable across the board is that the people that are making the most progress are the ones that are not like, it doesn't matter really what, well, obviously the training doesn't matter, but like the ones that really, really make the most progress are the ones that sleep like ridiculous amounts and they are relatively low stress in their life, both emotional, physical stress. And they obviously nail their, their food on a daily basis. It doesn't matter whether you're like eating the most bro foods in the world or anything like that, but you're eating plenty. Like as a natural, you know, your biggest tool for growth is going to be food and sleep. So if we see clients nail those two factors and we'll maybe come back to those on the top 10 sort of things that we'll give young bodybuilders, but like the food and the sleep element of things is often overlooked massively. And one of the things I always bring up with my clients in terms of like making the most progress is, you know, you've got to like look at the bodybuilders that went out to like Kuwait and or oxygen gym or whatever. And, you know, the progress that they made, some of them was like mind blowing and people started talking about it as some sort of like special drugs they were using out there. Anabolic chicken of Kuwait. Yeah. Chicken of Kuwait or the magic mirror or the myostatin deficiency or something like that. But the reality is, they go out there, and I listened to a podcast with Nathan, Nathan Diasher on Yeah, this. I listened to that. Was that with um, um, Fuad? Yeah, brilliant yeah. podcast. That was so good, because he was so honest. It was yeah, just like so that. mint. And um, he, he said that like when he, he went out there, all he would do was just train, then get his meals, and then just, just sleep and like play like, the odd bit of PS4 and things like that. But his stress was just, his emotional stress was just rock bottom. Um, so nothing to worry about, you know, nothing to be concerned about. No, no business to run. Like, yeah, of course he maybe was worrying about the fact that he was spending a lot of money and not really making much. Um, but at that level, especially when you, you know, go out there and you're maybe sponsored or paid to go out there, those guys have like minimal, minimal stress. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I think for, for myself and, you know, people within my circle. So for example, someone like Cuba as well, like me and him, like we both love the stress of running a business. Like we actually really just enjoy throwing ourselves into busy days and long hours and more work and more clients because we actually really just enjoy that. Um, so as much as there is probably some factors of that that do end up pulling away from us being the best bodybuilders we can possibly be, I think we both have it the way that we have a bit of a, a balance between the two rather than going like all in on just sleeping and eating. I think we'd go mad if we just did that personally. So that's not what I'm saying. So I'm, I don't think many humans are out there built to just train and eat and sleep um, I think we need more drive than that, especially if you've got a true bodybuilding mindset, you've probably got growth, a growth mindset in, in business and, and things like that as well. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, to get back to the question, you can, you can gain a lot more than the pound of muscle a year that some of the research studies say, you know, and you've got to look at those research studies and think who is the, you know, person in question that's in that research study, you know, and are they training like they've got a gun to the head or are they training like, you know, they're in a little lab and they've got like EMG data on them and, you know, how long have they been training for and things like that. I think the real research is the ones, is the people at the top of the natural scene that you're seeing compete year in, year out and make improvements. And those are the people, those are the people that you've got to follow. You know, you mentioned it yourself with accounts that you follow. 
I'm very selective with who I follow as well because if I if I follow someone that's making like no like minimal progress but preaching their methods and like telling me like how you should train but their their physique's not changing whatsoever like fair play changing slowly genetic influence etc if they're making no progress like no visible progress year in year out like i don't necessarily want to be following that account because that's not bringing me the mindset that i can make if i follow keefe for example i i go into the gym thinking i'm going to you know pull 300 kilos off the floor i might <laughs> i probably won't but at least i can have the mindset that that's possible you know so then i can look to try and catch people like that that are ahead of me and make similar progress rather than sort of like limiting myself to such a small minuscule rubbish amount of muscle that you can build per year yeah and i think then people it's not even noticeable so it's almost pointless in that respect would you say that um as a natural it's more important to push your weight up more aggressively and particularly with younger bodybuilders is almost just get the size on and then worry about getting the fat off because from the outset it looks like some people tend to go very much with that approach quite early doors when they're in their sort of late teens just like throw weight on and see what happens i couldn't agree more like i just could not agree more i think as much as you can always say oh well you know partitioning ratios get skewed as you push up more and body fat gets accrued like 100 you know I, I think there is diminishing returns at some point so i'm not saying to anyone listening to this go any you know a kilogram of frosties and just you know push up your body weight to ridiculous levels i think that should be because the thing is the reason why it works for for some people the reason why a lot of young guys can eat what seems like gargantuan amounts of food and get pretty soft looking but then come down and have a lot of muscle is because during that whole process they are trained like absolute animal possessed like you can't just eat loads and if you're training accuracy and your intensity and your work rate in the gym isn't there you are just going to get fat you're just going to be a fat person basically and i've been there you know i've i've been just a fat person just a soft yeah just just a soft physique you know that's what i've that's where i've been but like like even now you know in my early 20s i think during this phase before my next prep i need to get to the heaviest i've ever been like heavier than i've ever been before um to to pack on new size and new tissue and um as much as that might not like i might gain five pounds i might not necessarily progress all of my lifts with that five pounds of body weight i just believe that there's something within that environment you're putting yourself in that pretty significant surplus that is very conducive to all hypertrophic processes as long as you're training as well as you possibly train with accuracy with intent focus um with some degree of progressive overload in in some lifts um then you're doing your job um so yeah that and more important than ever in in teenagers you know like that initial foundation of muscle tissue really does come with that big big push up like i'm taught i've i've had some clients where their start weight to their like end weight at the end of like a, a year of pushing up has been like 40 pounds heavier 50 pounds heavier but they they've not like they don't look fat they've just gained so much like of that initial momentum with muscle that 
the body fats partitioned quite evenly as well and it just looks fine like i just i just i just literally say to them i'm like there's no reason for us to not push and then guess what you know you'll take the, the next year and we'll do a diet and we'll get down 20 pounds 25 pounds and they'll look leaner than when they started coaching at, you know like the 40 pounds like ago that they were, you know, it's ridiculous. And you almost compare photos and you're like, how the hell has that happened? But it's all because of that. It's all because of that bit, that big, that big, big push up. Um, and equally, if you don't do that big push up, you can just literally open up the door to just looking the same every year. And I get how some people like that's their goals, but you know, a lot of like influencers online now, that may well be their goal. It like may well be like a marketing tool to stay in relatively good condition year out. I totally get that, you know? And like, I think if I wasn't competing, I didn't have the goal of building as much muscle as possible. I would probably stay about 10 pounds above my stage weight, about 10, 12 pounds above my stage weight. I'd stay in a position where I was like always having like really good appetite levels. I could go for a meal out, but then pull back the next day and just like hold my physique there. I'd quite happily do that if I had the reason to do it. But right now that's not my personal goal. So always I think when you look online, especially as a younger athlete, and you wanna build as much muscle as possible, you gotta be careful It's like who you follow and also remind yourself as to what their specific goals are. And, and if they're aligned with yours, then of course, you know, like listen to what they say, but if they're, if they're not aligned with yours, then take some of it with a pinch of salt, especially with how they manage body composition. Um, because you might read something and be like, oh, okay, well, I, I need to sort of like hover around that condition or whatever. When in reality, that might not be the most prudent tool for you to be able to, to get to where you need to be end goal wise. 100%. One of the things uh, on the body weight side of things, I'm a big fan of people trying to add uh, size and strength is that load moves load. So as you're taking your body weight up, for example, big exercises like deadlifts, the heavier you are, the stronger you're going to get because you've got more body weight to, to pull those movements, which then is going to translate into more muscle mass. And I noticed that a lot, to be fair, with my own body weight when I start to push that up, that my strength starts to shoot up quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think again, you know, you're very, very right with that. I think there's, there's, some, there's some movements where that, that thought process applies 100% of the time. Um, especially with presses, you know, like body weight really doesn't move weights with the presses, like stability through the upper back, um, that sort of cushioning effect. And also the, the fact that, you know, without sounding blunt, like your actual range of motion will probably decrease a little bit <laughs> as you get a bit heavier. Um, so like when I'm really lean, I notice that I have to bring the dumbbells like fucking way back to get to like a good range. Um, and you know, so that's that's an element of things. But yeah, presses definitely. I think actually with the with squat patterns, like the cushioning around the knee joint, the hip joint, and the lower back, like will rock it up your squats. Um, especially if you're a barbell squatter, like when you get when you get really lean, they're they're very hard to maintain your, your off-season numbers. Hatch squats, I've noticed that you can you can retain pretty much a lot of your mechanical strength with um with 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 even getting quite lean i think what's interesting with that is because you have so much external stability from the machine correct whereas with uh, like a barbell squat or even you say like a dumbbell press 
you've got so much you're trying to stabilize all the time that you can't really get away with it as much. Yeah, that's, to- that's totally it. Um, so I think, you know, you've just got to consider like stability and, and the cross transfer of that when it comes to whether body weight is going to be beneficial or not. Um, and then even the, with the deadlift, you know, like if you get super heavy, your actual ability to, to get into that starting position um, seems to be limited. I, I've noticed that when I get to my heaviest, it feels um, awkward. Yeah, it feels well odd. It feels really odd. And then I lose like the first 10 pounds of dieting and my deadlift actually goes up massively. And all of my hip hinges do because for some reason that that bottom position, uh, when I'm all coiled up, just feels way better, a little bit lighter. Um, so yeah, that's something I've noticed as, as well. But again, you know, it's all down to individual dependence because some of the best deadlifters in the world are very 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 heavy <laughs> yeah enormous i was actually thinking that as you said that i was like i feel a bit comfortable i'm comfortable my weight's up like five ten kilos i can't imagine what it would be like being like 150 and trying yeah. to get down to the floor and pick up a bar yeah i just don't know how they do it but they obviously do and they make the most of that 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 power that they have the bottom position um but yeah body body weight certainly you know moves weight and i think i think a lot of people with the body weight side of things as well they get very attached to uh, what 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 rate of gain should I have? You know, I get that question on my Instagram. Q and A's a lot. Which weight should I be adding a month or a week? Yeah, yeah. people love tracking this kind of shit. And it, and it, the answer is always it depends, doesn't it? Like, yeah, it always depends. I mean, it's very individual dependent. You know, some people could gain four pounds over a month and look fine. Some people gain four pounds over a month and look like they've gained you know four pounds of fat. You know, it, it really is just dependent on on you and your and your ability to partition nutrients and how you spread body fat you know whether you start to partition body fat in a favorable way i always notice that the taller you are usually the way you can pocket body fat and unless you've got very sort of like stubborn sites where you hold i've noticed a lot of my taller clients i can keep pushing them pushing them pushing them and then i'm like shit you're probably getting a bit too soft here but I just can't really see it because you've you've partitioned that body fat so much like spread out everywhere. Yeah, yeah. The the distribution of that body fat length. is um yeah, yeah torso length and, and just the the way that they spread it is just goes all over the place. And then you diet them down. You're like, oh Christ, <laughs> you have a lot more to lose than than I thought you did because obviously your condition is comparable to a, a shorter guy. But the shorter guy, I I could see where we needed to stop. Um, so that's something to consider as well is, is height. Um, but if I was, you know, well, even when I'm gaining, like right now, like I step on the scale and obviously I log, I log my weights and I see my averages and where they're creeping up. But as long as I'm in a surplus, my weight's going up. The main thing I'm looking at is progress photos. And to be honest, the biggest ones that I'm looking at is usually in the off season, I'm looking at post-workout photos more than I'm looking at the the ones in the morning, especially at this time of the year, because what I tend to see with clients is they're taking the check-ins, you know, flat first thing in the morning, freezing cold, no fluid in them. Like, yes, that is a true representation of how you look upon wake, but I don't think that's a true reflection of your actual condition. Like your actual condition will start to show you when you actually have a little bit of blood volume, a little bit of fluid in you, couple of meals, a bit of a pump, like, yes, you know, you can argue that it's giving you a little bit more of a, I don't know, unnatural representation, but even when people are home training at the moment, like I'd get them to take their check-ins sometimes after a home training session in the same natural lighting setup, but just with a little bit more oomph to their physique, 
a little bit more blood flow. And then when they're dieting down, of course, like seeing a physique fasted is really important because that's where arguably you're going to be a little bit drier, a little bit more detailed in some areas. You haven't been on your feet so much. So I do get a little bit more heavier comparisons when they get into diet phases. Um, but for me, like the biggest things I am looking at is, is the, the, the post-workout progress photos when, when people are pushing up. I, I believe that they're, they're sometimes the best tools because I've kept more people pushing and beneficially um, through doing those than just looking at the ones that they've taken in the morning, which are actually too harsh than they need to be. Um, so that's just something I've, I've done over the last sort of couple of years, I think. That's, that's an interesting point to be fair because I've always done mine fasted. Yeah. Um, I find actually personally, I tend to look better first thing in the morning fasted and flat. I feel like super dry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so you look like leaner, probably not as full, but it's um, depends what you're looking for in that respect. What was your approach with your clients when you're obviously looking to push the limits in terms of muscle mass and with cardio in the off season? So I tend to like to keep a little bit in just for just general fitness and uh, making that we make sure that we keep resting heart rate in a good spot. And as a result, if we keep resting heart rate in a good spot, it usually impacts things like heart rate variability and just general readiness day to day. Like a lot of my clients use aura rings. So we look at the data on that quite a bit. Um, so it will usually look like doing, I mean, for me personally, actually the moment, because the weather's so terrible. I don't get out for as many steps as I would. It's, it's pissing with rain at the moment for anyone who's listening. Yeah, it's, it's just, just it's just not nice, really. Um, so I, I go, I, you know, I go for walks when when I can and when I have the time. But I find that it's actually in the winter months more time efficient and more enjoyable for me to just hop on the bike, do twenty minutes of a morning. The only the only thing that I'll, I'll, I'll not do that on leg days, um, especially if the leg day is quite you know close to the cardio. Um, I'll tend to just, just do it on my normal training days and rest days, 20 minutes of decent intensity, um, reply to some, some client messages or, or form clips or whatever. Um, and I sort of like killed two birds with one stone with that kind of approach. Um, rather than at the moment, if I was to go out and this, I wouldn't be able to look at my phone because it would just get absolutely soaked and it'd be freezing cold. So, and also I get the cardiovascular benefits of doing the bike. Um, I tend to find as well doing it fast first thing upon wake almost like wakes me up a little bit and then I get like a really good efficient work block done because I feel like when I elevate my heart rate a little bit and get some more blood flowing I just feel like I've got a bit more get up and go rather than getting up and getting straight to my desk so um, that's something that I do personally and any clients that have got um, an exercise bike some I usually like the bike to be honest because obviously there's there's it's lower impact. There's, you know, really no eccentric loading portion of it. Whereas if you were doing, you know, treadmill or stairmaster, you know, that can be very sort of taxing and create even more of a actual, like, you know, rather than creating like an aerobic challenge, a lot of the time people create an, an anaerobic challenge with doing the stairmaster too hard. You know, I've had clients that try and progress up the levels on the stairmaster and they're basically training legs on the stairmaster um but how fast they're going and where their heart rate's getting into heart rate ranges you know we're seeing like 160 plus on what's meant to be an aerobic session you know so like they're just killing themselves um for no real reward so i do keep the cardio trapped to the heart rate range and i tend to like if we're just doing light 
performance, like sort of like aerobic cardio, just like anywhere between 120 and 140 seems to be a good place to be. So, um, yeah, I do use cardio for sure in the off season. Yeah, I think, I think there's a huge amount of value. I think what you were saying there in terms of the stepper is something a lot of people aren't aware of. And I think I've had a few people have hip issues oh, where yeah, they've been sure. hammering it on the stepper. And it's just the repetition constantly it can inflame the joints and cause like minor injuries, which then obviously yeah. I think people don't sometimes take that into account. Yeah, 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 um, I agree. I, I mean, I've had hip issues on the, on the stairs. I, I used them in a diet in 2019 and 2018. Both times, it just completely ruined my left hip. So um, I, I personally avoid it. Luckily, I, I got away with doing the whole prep last year with no real formal cardio at all. I was just doing steps. So I was, um, I was quite sort of lucky in that instance. But I think next time I will keep in some form of cardiovascular work, but always uh, an upright bike for me um, tends to be the best. The big benefits, what I find with uh, the cardio first thing in the morning, because it's something I'm an advocate of, is that also digestively, I find it helps massively to get everything going. I think, as you said, the blood flow almost through your entire system, you're getting more obviously oxygen to the brain everywhere. I find your stomach, you just want food, it's like you assimilate straight away. I think that's something yes. that people should take on board. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that one for sure. And like obviously the the beneficial impacts on like blood sugars and things like that as well. We can see those creep a little bit higher in the off season if we use that sort of first wind in the day to to bring them down a tad, then we know that we're almost going to be straight on. We should anyway, upon wake after a, a time period of fasting, we should be in a pretty good spot blood sugars wise, um, blood glucose. But I think that if we just keep a little bit of movement in, it almost keeps a little bit more of that good momentum throughout the rest of the day. Um, and meals just go down so much easier and you feel less sluggish and lethargic, especially if your first meal has carbs um so yeah that's something that i do do like as well mate is that something you're an advocate of carbs at the first meal of the day depending on the diet it's very individual dependent so i i personally like it like i have carbs in my first meal always have um so i think my body's like quite just used to that now and i actually feel like weird when i don't have carbs in my first meal um but i'm, I'm actually more of a fan of carb no carbs in the last meal um, I know that there's some link to uh, glucose and serotonin and, you know, you can maybe feel a little more relaxed and get a better night's sleep with, with some carbs in the last one. But I find that, well, one, my fasted blood glucose is better when I keep the, the carbs redundant in the last meal. Obviously, it makes sense because I've spent longer away from, from glucose. But also, I find that I sleep better because I've just got less in my stomach, like less food volume um, and... Yeah, my resting heart rate tends to be lower a little bit as well with, with less carbs in the last meal. So um, when my carbs get really high, which they do tend to get pretty high at the end of a push, I'd be lying if I said that every meal has carbs. Just because if I do meals that don't have carbs, I will find that meals will get so big that it just ruins, it just ruins me. Like I'll have a post-workout meal with, 150 or 200 grams worth of carbs and then I just can't I can't get to the next meal feeling ready and I think one of the big things that people often overlook is readiness to eat I think during a whole push-up you should go into meals wanting to eat them to an extent you'll get to you'll get to the final few few weeks or few maybe even a month or so 
where there's going to be meals which you're going to like go into and feel like you really just don't want to eat them. But I think going into meals, you should always feel pretty ready and like like the, the want to eat should be a little bit there. Um, if the if halfway through the meal you're starting to think fuck this, then that's fair play. But I think at least having some wants and readiness to eat before most meals is a good sign that your digestive tract's in a a pretty good spot. Because um, otherwise you're just compiling food on top of food, and I think by that point you're going to roll into some issues. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much the way that I like to sort of periodize the nutrition a little bit. What's the highest of calories and carbs you pushed up to? Uh, out of memory last off season, I think I was around about four, seven, like four, seven in terms of calories, 4,700. And I think carbs wise at that point, it was like seven fifty. Um, so I, I don't know whether I'll even get that high this time because I, I, it will only be, well, it'll potentially be a, a much shorter off season. It depends on what my plans are, um, and how the next few months go, but, I don't know whether I'll get that high. I'm only at 550 at the moment and it feels like an absolute breeze in comparison. Obviously, I'm like still not that much removed from a prep, so hunger's not really a problem. Um, but the, the 750 at the end of an off-seat, like just daily eating was very much a task. And it was like a constant rotation of foods. Like I just got bored of most food all mm. the time really quick. Um, so I had, I had my foods that worked well, and I just, I, I normally did like three days of one sort of meal plan and then three days of another, just because I'm a big believer as well that obviously, you know, the brain and the gut are very much linked. So as soon as you start like thinking about a meal, if you're dreading it, you're not going to start that process of salivating, releasing amylase and starting to, you know, basically produce the natural things that are going to help you break down that food. And I find a lot of people, you know, spend way too long just eating foods that they just really don't enjoy and sh shoveling them in with a great big spoon and thinking that they're going to sit well. And it's like, you're just literally beating a dead horse for that point, I think. Um, and I usually, with clients, it gets to that point consistently, even with rotations of foods, I just I just pull them down. I'm just like, no, like we've reached a dead end here. We've, we've got to sort of like, even if it's just a small phase where we pull calories down, like, for just two weeks, you know, that, that's not like a typical mini cut. Like the goal isn't really to lose body fat. The goal is just to get more longevity in the phase. So sometimes I just pull them back for literally like a couple of weeks and they're like, oh, I'm really, really hungry. And then we'll go back and we'll almost have that. that it's almost like a reset of, of the appetite rather than going into a full-blown cut because they might not need that. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to exhaust all other options before we do something like that, though. I think that's one of the things that this is why I preach a lot to clients. I'm actually doing a, a live video call for my kitchen with a lot of them tonight. Um, it's the importance of actually making your food nice and making sure yeah. you actually enjoy it. Because if you inherently enjoy what you're eating and you're not just eating plain chicken, rice and broccoli because you think that's hardcore, uh, chances are you're not going to digest it very well. So whereas you actually like really enjoy what you're eating, you'll look forward to the next meal and your body will actually absorb it better. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that for sure. Um, coming into the sort of next topic, AJ. So obviously you've uh, flourished fairly quickly through the fitness industry in regards to coaching, obviously your own physique progression. What do you think the importance of learning is in the early stages of training nutrition and where did you start for anyone listening? 
Just, I, th- I think it's huge. I think I wouldn't be where I am today without spending a lot of time developing my knowledge. Um, I think above all, the most I've ever learned, to be brutally honest, is just from coaching, like in the trenches with the clients, making the adjustments, learning what happens, learning individuals, learning how to treat people um, and being a very much like, from a coaching perspective, one of the biggest things you can learn is how to treat people and how to influence people as well. So like that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, I think it's one of the best books you can read as a coach. Um, just because it teaches you some basic people skills if you haven't got that sort of quite naturally. Um, it's also why I'm a fan, different topic, but I'm a fan of online coaches. I think doing one-to-one PT before you go into online tends to work quite well because you just learn how your niche is going to grow, but also you learn how to teach people in person and be a coach in person before you try and transition that onto an online basis, which is something that sometimes people get very naturally, but sometimes some people don't. Um, So, yeah. And then I think beyond that, where, where did I learn? I mean, my initial learning basis was from a group of coaches that I worked within uh, the performance project, which was the first place I ever did PT. Um, so there was three coaches there that were very, very good. And they taught me a lot in terms of like systems, how to work with people, um, coaching sheets, you know, they like their sort of PT was very, very good because every PT client was an online client as well. So we checked in with them weekly on an online basis gave them their feedback, you know, just kind of like how I do feedbacks now, apart from it was text format back in those days. So um, I think, you know, getting good sort of foundation around you and learning from people that are a little bit ahead of you in terms of business is always a good place to start. And then beyond that, you know, listening to, to just many, many podcasts as you possibly can, you know, trawling through the archives of several different podcasts will always do you a world of good and making your own notes, um, and applying them. There's loads of memberships out there, like membership sites out there now that you can sign up to that are, that are brilliant. Muscle Mentors one's probably one of the one of the greatest ones out there in terms of like coaching and just like just generally like learning more about the human body and how we work, anatomy, etc. Um, so that's a great site um, in terms of like pure learning ability and knowledge. And then you've got obviously sites like JP's Trained by JP site, obviously one of my sponsors. Um, and that's, I mean, I learned, I learned from Jordan back from like 2014. I was, I was on his site from 2015. I've been a member for like almost six years now. Um, and you can learn a lot from just reading, reading logs, reading, reading athletes logs, uh, reading how they make changes. Um, you can obviously watch all of the informative videos on there and they're all great as well in terms of just building a foundational knowledge. A lot of people think it's just about drugs, but it's not, there's so much more on there than than just drugs. Um, there's loads of training and nutrition sort of videos on there as well. Um, so I'd recommend that. And, and you know, I then beyond, beyond that, it's, it is just a case of being like, not being afraid to, to ask someone a question. You know, I think in the industry at the moment, it is hard because obviously we, we do get a lot of people ask questions that are like, they're trying to waste our time or they don't really appreciate our time or they ask questions that are just like, oh, just, same question again, where'd you get that log book? Where'd you get that sort of, you know, how much creatine should I take? Yeah. Just Does creatine cause water bleeding. Yeah. It is, it is frustrating to, to get the same ones all the time. 
but amidst that, you know, there are people that do genuinely ask great questions and um, I'm more than willing to help people with that. So, you know, whenever someone does have a legit question that they do ask, I'll get all, all, always time of day. So, um, so yeah, I think that's massively important as well. It's just like not being afraid to ask people and coaches different questions. Um, so, yeah. 100%. Do you have someone who coaches you for prep and off season or do you do it yourself or? At the moment I do it myself. I've coached myself since 2015 um, for my own bodybuilding. So I'm a bit stubborn to be honest. Like I've had obviously several different people have eyes on me and I'll send them my progress photos and they'll give their thoughts and opinions. And I've been very lucky to have, you know, a world champion bodybuilders, obviously, you know, I have people pros like Cuba in my circle where, you know, I can literally talk to Cuba whenever's needed and he can give me his opinions. So, you know, we'll send form clips to each other and keep each other accountable when we're, you know, not training together in times like this. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm coming to the conclusion that I would, I would like at some point because my own client base is getting to the point where, I put so much time and effort into my own clients that um, I think when I prep, I need, I need someone just to tell me a little bit more of like, you know, just do this because I overthink it. Yeah. I, I, I give so much time to my clients that I don't give enough to myself sometimes. And I made that mistake actually last year um, with one of, well, one of the two shows that I did, I didn't quite, didn't quite nail it the way that I wanted to nail it. And uh, that was as a byproduct of having, five clients in the show as well and putting more time into, into those guys than myself. So yes, uh, coach is probably on the horizons at some point. What was your, talk about last year, what was your experience of the European champ, uh, championships last year and, and COVID and the situation with that? Yeah. So it was a bit stressful getting there just because of the, the COVID tests and waiting for them to come back positive, negative, whatever. And but when I was actually there, it was, it was really good. Like the Europeans were in Italy don't know how I managed to like get the most lucky circumstances that I was literally there the weekend that they chose to start the lockdown on Monday. So I was in a gym the last day you could be in a gym in Italy doing like a pump session. So yeah, that was very lucky. Um, there was also an audience allowed. So it felt like a normal bodybuilding show. It was quite busy. Um, there was, you know, I had to wear a mask um, most of the time. So around the venue and on the stage, apart from you could take it off when you did your routine. So to be honest, I think if, if you don't compete during COVID, the biggest thing that you'll have missed was the cardiovascular challenge of doing rounds of posing with a mask on. It's not fucking easy. So I was absolutely blowing out my ass after that. And I practiced posing a lot, but what I didn't practice was doing six rounds with a mask on. So I should have, I should have thought ahead, but yeah, that was, um, yeah, it was enjoyable. And, um, I, I would, I would certainly like if, if I do end up maybe competing this year, which isn't the plan just yet, but if, if the off season continues to go very well, I might, um, I wouldn't have any issue competing, um, with, with the COVID sort of setup. Um, I'm fine with it because I know that the shows will happen at some point and, um, and I don't do it to compete in front of an audience or anything like that. It's not why I compete. So I'm more than happy for them to, for there to be a live stream and and uh, for for me to get on stage if if the time if the time is right. So yeah, I would say to anyone if they if they're thinking about doing it, just 
don't don't be too too concerned about the whole COVID situation because um, this year you will get on stage. I know that there's federations that will make it happen regardless of what the restrictions are. Um, they'll fit it in at some point during a gap in the lockdowns or whatever. So it'll all be good. Some solid advice. And obviously, um, we bumped into each other briefly in Dubai. How was your experience of the Middle East? I really liked it. I thought that the, the month that I did out there was pretty inspiring in terms of just like the the levels that you can get to in life with uh, flashy cars and things like that. So it's a very materialistic uh, place to, to a degree. Um, I think I'd be more inclined to like stay leaner if I was like living out there. I'd, I'd, I, I, feel, I feel like doing a big push up in Dubai would be, uh, would be interesting, especially with, you know, the fact that everyone I talked to said that you basically just don't, can't go outside in the summer months, you know, it's like way too hot. So, um, I think the temperature in the winter months was, was phenomenal. It was perfect. It was like in the 30 degree mark every day. And, you know, you, you could, you could easily sit in the sun. I wouldn't burn or like, you know, get too hot and frustrated. And yeah, the, the place where we stayed was really nice as well. Um, the only thing I would change funnily enough was, I don't know why, but like, if you have like an e phone whilst you're out there and you're in the UK, like for some reason, just my, my data just didn't work anywhere. So I'd literally come back to like a place with Wi-Fi and get rammed with WhatsApps. So I need to sort that. I need to like get like a UAE phone if I go out there again, because that was a nightmare. Um, but that's the only thing I would change. Other than that, it was just enjoyable. The gyms were decent. They're nothing on Ultraflex though, I must be honest. Like, that's not me being a, a dick. Really? I've never, I've never been to Ultraflex. It's uh, uh, a long way north of the wall for me, but it, it looks dope to be fair. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, there's nothing quite like it, to be honest, mate. Um, like, I've, I've trained in, like, I see gyms in Dubai. I used to live in Brighton, so I've trained in all, most of the gyms in Brighton, in, in London, Muscle Works, etc. Mm-hmm. I've trained in loads of gyms. It's just not, there's just nothing quite like Ultra. And the thing is, that gym specifically, when it's, when it's like, when there's loads of people in there, you'll have like 10, 12 IFBB pros. You'll have like people just doing, like for me, most of the people in there train the very similar way. So I train. So you look left and you see someone, you know, pulling 240 off the floor or hack squatting eight plates. And like everyone's form is very, very good um, because they're all well educated on, on training. So um, it's a, phenomenal environment that's what makes the difference for me is that it's the people the people make a gym and uh, not that the people were bad and buy anything like that people are great um it's just not it's just not not quite the same i think there's a lot of people in dubai that do train for different reasons and that's totally fine um but i don't feel like there's this there's a lot of competitors but i don't feel like it's the same sort of vibe that you get in the uk um so yeah that's just my opinion though but there's you know still great gyms in dubai 100 i'll have to check that out uh now if we start to wrap things up we'll come into 10 top uh 10 take-home tips for young bodybuilders sure. so rattle through 10 of these quickly what would you say is number one first thing for people to focus on we haven't pre-planned this i'm putting them on the spot yeah no we haven't um right so number one is just just passion and love for the sport if you want to compete, especially just be passionate about it. Bottom line, that's number one. Um, number two, I think has to be sleep and recovery. Don't overlook these variables, sleep plenty, make sure you're doing something to monitor 
whether your routine with sleep is paying off, i.e. are you having a consistent wake and bedtime, etc. Nail those if you need to, take naps. You know, naps are big if you, if you can get a nap in a day as well. I was napping in Dubai. I was in a really good routine. I still managed to get all my work done, train and fit in like an hour nap. I was recovering really well. But in the UK, I struggle to find a routine where I can ever fit a nap in. I'm not sure if you've ever done that. but no, I, I struggle. That. Once I'm awake, I'm awake. And then if I'm asleep, I'm asleep. There's no yeah, that's, that's what I always found. But when, when I was in Dubai, like we went to the beach like about 3 p.m., um, 2 p.m., 3 p.m. I could always just lie there and I'd just like bang. I'd just fall asleep. There was a time you. difference. But, um, or the heat, but something about it, I was just like straight asleep. So, um, but yeah, sleep recovery, uh, three foods, just make sure you're eating plenty, plenty of good foods. Um, if you want to grow, obviously staying in a good de- uh, deficit, good surplus. Um, four, training just from an accuracy perspective. So, making sure you're getting your foundations of accuracy. So what I mean by that is just being like aware of your execution. So as a younger athlete, like straight out the gate, trying to film some of your training clips and getting someone to review them and feed back to you, or just looking at them yourself and critiquing yourself um, and giving your own analysis of the way that you train and trying to improve that. Um, Five, then again, training, but training intensity. So trying to drive up your training intensity and working closer to failure, but training intensity is a byproduct of accuracy. So if you can't be accurate, you can't be intense. Um, That's what a lot of people try and do is they try and be really intense and shout and scream, but they've got zero accuracy, so it's pointless. So you've got to be accurate with that intensity. Um, Number six, stress management. I think especially as younger people, we have a lot of potential stresses in this in this environment me and my girlfriend are actually talking about it the other day how like how i reckon my stress levels would have been skyrocketed if i was like a you know 16 17 year old guy growing up now versus when i was growing up at 16 17 because of like the rise of like social media and stuff like that so many more stresses to deal with so your mitigation of those stresses and trying to avoid confrontation and just general crap. It's probably going to be massively beneficial to your progress. Uh, Seven knowledge, just try and learn as much as you can. So you can apply that to your own training and your own nutrition. Listening to these kind of podcasts will definitely help you with that. Um, Eight experience, go to shows, go and speak to people, um, go and find out whether this is really for you and that will help again, just level up you as an individual and specifically as an athlete, if you go to shows when you can actually go to shows, um, that will help you just understand what it is actually you're going to be doing. So a lot of people, when they first compete, first time they ever compete will be the first show they go to. And it's a bit of a shock for some people if they've not really prepared for that. So go to shows and mm, running out of ideas now, nine. Training environment. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, training environment. Get to a good ultra place. See, there's some great bodybuilders out there that don't train in great gyms. I've said his name numerous times, but Keefe's one of them. He's training like a little sort of like setup in Scotland where there's basically no one else that trains in there. It's like a studio gym, but he's got all his kit in there and, and he just gets after it and he creates this. You can create your own environment by like watching. That's number 10. So number 10 is 
like environment based, but it's like watch people on Instagram and watch them train and like use that as your training environment. If you haven't got your own training environment. So I'm fine with people watching like someone train before they do a set. Like, um, people that I watch, I watch Keithy. I watch the guy who coaches you. I watch Nick. Hey, Nick um, is a G. Yeah, I have, to, I have to watch him a lot of the time, mate. Hey, listen to the podcast I did with him yesterday. Me and him just rattled on for Like, we could have talked for hours. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's superb, mate. He's, he's, he's very, like, whenever I ask him a question, I get about four million words back. And I'm like, he, um, he sent me, he was talking about, like, a, my grip on an incline barbell press and sent me a 30 minute long video talking about gripping a bar. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Fuck me. It's, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm like being super meticulous with everything, so I'm loving it. But like for probably 99.9% .9 of people listening to this, they'd be like, that'd be way too much. Mm, mm, mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, no, he's great. So yeah, watching people like him, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll definitely feel an inadequate. So if you don't like feeling inadequate, then, um, then uh, maybe don't. But uh, I, I quite like that feeling. I, I, I like feeling like I'm, I don't like feeling ahead. Um, I like You're feeling- growth-minded like, though. Yeah, I like feeling like I've got people to catch up and, and, uh, and people that are ahead of me. People making things that feel heavy for me look easy. I'm like, yeah, I've got work to do. I kind of like that feeling. So I, I, I kind of like create that own sort of vibe in my head, especially at the moment when I'm training in a small little setup where there's no one else. It's just me and my girlfriend. So. Um, I need something like that externally sometimes to sort of think, right, flick the switch. I think it's one of those things is that like a big fish, small pond sort of scenario where you almost yes. need to take yourself, throw yourself in the big blue ocean and then it makes you level up. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we'll wrap things up there, AJ. So for anyone to find out any more information about you, what's your Instagram, YouTube channel? You've got your own podcast as well, I believe. Sure. So Instagram's AJ Morris underscore. And uh, I don't actually run the podcast at the moment, maybe thinking about doing them at some point, but um, my main focus at the moment is the, the YouTube and that will, will be back when the lockdown gets lifted because it is mostly training content. So I can't film that at the moment. So um, I'll maybe try and squeeze in something at some point, but yeah, YouTube's just AJ Morris and uh, yeah, I appreciate your time, mate. Thanks very much for having me on and uh, hopefully everyone in enjoyed this episode. Pleasure, man. There's tons of take-home tips from this today, so I'm sure everyone will take a huge amount of knowledge from this. So if you found this helpful, insightful, please make sure you tag yourself and AJ on your Instagram stories and share this with a friend, and we'll catch up with you next episode. So that was an absolutely insane podcast with AJ. So I hope you guys took some helpful, insightful knowledge from that. As always, there's a few ways I can help you for completely free below the podcast. We've got CJ Shredding Squad Facebook group you guys can join. We've got the YouTube channel, which the full interview of this uh, video of this podcast will be live on if you want to watch through it back. So that'll be live onto my YouTube channel. And then you can also book in your free six-pack strategy call with myself and the CJ coaching team to discuss with you how we can help you get optimal results in 2021. We'll see you in the next episode of the podcast.